We all have a birth story. And in most cases, we know what that story is because our parents or our other relatives have told it to us, maybe even several times over the years, right? Every birth story is memorable, though some are more memorable than others. When my mom tells about my older brother and me, it's pretty standard stuff and uneventful, which is a good thing, don't get me wrong. But when she tells the story of my younger sister, there's a little bit of a twist to it. You see, after having two boys, my mom really wanted a girl. <laughs> In clothing stores, she wouldn't even allow herself to, to look at the little girl's clothing area because she was just sure it was not gonna happen for her. So when she delivered her third child and the doctor told her, congratulations, Mrs. Moroni, have a beautiful baby girl, Mom replied, under the foggy influence of anesthesia, that's nice, another boy. <laughs> Only later did she realize that she had the little girl that she had convinced herself she would never have. And interestingly, my sister, Helen, was born in Bethlehem, right? But it was, of course, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, not Bethlehem in ancient Israel. Well, as memorable as my sister's birth was, the birth of Jesus was infinitely more memorable. In fact, Luke really had in some sense has spent 80 verses building to this crucial event. You think about it, after the prologue in verses one to four, Luke foretells John's birth, and that's in verses five to 25. Then he foretells Jesus's birth, verses 26 to 56, and then he narrates John's birth, which we saw last week in verses 57 to 80, and now he will narrate Jesus's birth in the first 20 verses of chapter 2. So we will study Jesus's memorable birth, Jesus's memorable birth under three headings. First, we'll see a memorable trip in verses 1 to 7. Secondly, we will see a memorable night in verses 8 to 14. And third and finally, a memorable meeting in verses 15 to 20. So we begin with a memorable trip in verses 1 to 7. I wonder if I asked you, what would you say your most memorable trip was? Well, this one that Luke tells us about was not a vacation getaway that people chose to take, right? It was a government-mandated trip. You know the story. Caesar Augustus, leader, undisputed leader of the whole Roman Empire, decreed that everyone in the Roman world go to their ancestral home to be registered. And that kind of seems odd to us. That's not how we do it today. But apparently that was how they conducted a census, probably for purposes of taxation. And again, note how this is no fairy tale. It's no once upon a time story. It's a true story grounded in history. When, or maybe you see in the footnote at the bottom, perhaps before Quirinius was governor of Syria. Syria being the Roman province in which the city of Bethlehem was located. Now Joseph, right, who we met back in chapter one, verse 27, as Mary's fiance, he lived in the little town of Nazareth in Galilee. But because he was in the lineage of David, who was from Bethlehem, you can read about that in 1 Samuel 16 and 17, Joseph and Mary were required to travel some grueling 90 miles 
to his ancestral home of Bethlehem. It may have taken him, we guess, five days perhaps, by foot or maybe by donkey. Oh yeah, and Mary was with child, like very with child, ready to give birth any day. As you know, it did happen. While they were there in Bethlehem, during their stay there, Mary did in fact give birth to her firstborn son, whom she wrapped in swaddling cloths, right, to keep him snug and warm. As the ESV study Bible notes, the greatest miracle in the history of the world, right, the eternal son of God being born as a man happens quietly in an obscure village in Judea. God's son and his kingdom came in what was humanly a very surprising, kind of shocking way. As you know, right, with so many people there in Bethlehem to register for the census, there was no place, there, there was no available lodging for Joseph and Mary at the inn or the, the guest room that they had hoped for. So they improvised, right? They, they laid newborn Jesus in a manger, which is a feeding trough for animals. <laughs> I don't know what your birth story is, but I'm guessing that your mom wasn't on a mandated road trip and your crib wasn't a feeding trough. <laughs> and yet, while the circumstances seemed undesirable and hard, God's hand was in it all. God's hand was in it. As it says in Matthew 2, right, the Jewish scribes and chief priests, they knew that the Christ, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem because that's exactly what Micah had prophesied centuries earlier. When they're asked, they said, oh, it's going to be in Bethlehem. So we see then, don't we, that Caesar Augustus might have been in charge of the politics, but the Lord was working out his purposes for his son to be born at the right time and in the right place. And as Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. This was definitely a memorable trip. It's one we're still talking about today. And what had been a very memorable trip for Mary and Joseph in verses 1 to 7 is followed by a very memorable night for some nearby shepherds in verses 8 to 14, which is our second point. You see, in the same region of Judea, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, was it a chilly winter night or a warm summer night? Was it overcast and cloudy or was it clear with the stars shining brightly? Was it a little crescent moon or a full moon? Were there four shepherds or 14 shepherds or 24 shepherds? There are many details we don't know, despite right, our reenactments and our Christmas plays and movies about this memorable night. But what we do know is that an angel of the Lord appeared to these shepherds and the glory of the Lord, the bright manifestation of God's presence shone around them. Into the darkness of night, the light of God's glory shone. And they were filled with fear, right? Which is exactly the same reaction that Zechariah had and that Mary had to the angel Gabriel back in chapter 1. So as earlier, the angel's first words are, don't fear, fear not. 
The angel wasn't there to stun these shepherds, but to bring them good news of great joy that would be for all the people. I think in this context, probably meaning all the covenant people of Israel, at least initially. Well, I'm pretty sure that the shepherds are now fully tuned in. And as readers, right, we're kind of on the edge of our seats as well, wondering what this great news of great joy is for all the people. Well, here it is. Here's the good news. Unto you shepherds, right? You who are often looked down upon, even despised by the religious people of the day. Perhaps some indications are even disqualified from being legal witnesses in Jewish court. Unto you, yes, is born this day. It just happened in the city of David in nearby Bethlehem, a savior who is Christ, the Lord. Consider each of these three titles that the angel gives to newborn Jesus. Number one, a savior, right? One who would bring salvation to his people in the forgiveness of sins. Back to chapter one, verse 77. Secondly, Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, the, the anointed deliverer. And thirdly, the Lord. Yeah, this little baby is actually the one who will exercise authority over all as the Lord God. Now understand, at this time, it was common for Romans to say, Caesar is Lord, or Hail Caesar. But in reality, this newborn baby was the Lord. The angel explains that the Savior is not mighty Augustus, off in Rome, but an infant lying in a feed trough in the little city of David, Bethlehem. And the angel backs up his proclamation of good news, of great joy for all the people with a sign that is for the shepherds. The sign is this, they're going to find this little baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Remember, an animal feeding trough, a manger, was not the usual spot for a newborn baby. So this would identify this super special baby that the angel was talking about. And if the shepherds needed further confirmation, suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts, right? A whole army of angels, apparently, proclaiming peace and praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory goes to God in the highest heavens for sending a savior, Christ the Lord, to bring peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. Another helpful piece of background information is that at that time, it was common on the emperor's birthday for earthly choirs to hail him as savior and Lord who had inaugurated worldwide peace. But here in verse 14, notice a heavenly choir rightly ascribes glory to God in the highest for inaugurating true peace through the birth of this special baby, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, the Prince of Peace. God brings peace to people on whom his favor rests, as the NIV translates it. Well, that was a night that these shepherds would never forget, and their memorable night was followed by a memorable meeting, which is our third point found in verses 15 to 20. Having brought their God-given message to the shepherds, 
and having sung their God-given praise, the angels then returned to heaven. Can you imagine the looks on the shepherds' faces? (laughs) Well, as they process what they just heard and seen, it seemed like a slam dunk to hurry over to Bethlehem and see this thing that the Lord had made known to them, right? That it just happened. And while the message, yes, it had come through angels, it was the Lord, really, who had made it known to them. You see that in verse 15. So time to check it out. Let, let's go, you guys. We've all heard it and seen it. What are we waiting for? So they went with haste, right? they hurried off quickly to Bethlehem, which was not a large town. So perhaps going door to door, we aren't told, but somehow they found the baby lying in a manger, like confirming the sign that the angel had given them. This newborn tot is no ordinary baby that they are meeting. Rather, these looked down upon shepherds were meeting the Christ, the Savior, the Lord. The shepherds couldn't help but share the story of all that the angel had told them about this special child. And by now, it seems like Mary and Joseph had been joined by others so that all who heard the story wondered. They were amazed at what the shepherds said. And besides the onlookers' experience, we can imagine what was racing through Mary's heart and her mind. God had dealt with her in such a personal way. Such a personal way, right? Let's review it. The angel Gabriel had been sent from God to her, telling her that she found favor with God and the Lord was with her. Though she was a young virgin, she would conceive in her womb and bear a son whom she shall call Jesus. The Holy Spirit would come upon her and the power of the Most High would overshadow her. She believed and yielded herself in surrender. Let it be done to me, according to your word. She got pregnant as a virgin, and Joseph stuck with her. Elizabeth exclaimed how Mary and the fruit of her womb were both blessed. Mary's soul magnified the Lord. Her spirit rejoiced in God, her Savior. God had looked on her humble estate. All generations henceforth would call her blessed. He who is mighty had done great things for her. And now the Lord had sent these shepherds to her and to Joseph to further confirm that her son, who was born that day in Bethlehem, was a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So Mary had a lot to treasure up and ponder in her heart. And all these things from the past nine months or so. Mary took time to process it all, perhaps over an extended period of time. We don't know. But unlike the shepherds who spoke, Mary internally treasured and pondered all these things, chewing on it, mulling over it, turning it over again and again in her heart. Now, as for the shepherds, once they shared their God-given story, they returned to their flocks in the field but certainly as changed people, right? They had experienced a very memorable meeting with the newborn Messiah, enjoying the distinction, the privilege, the honor of being among the first human beings to meet the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Their exuberant response was to glorify and praise God 
for all they had seen and heard, which was exactly as the angel had told them. Well, it feels a little bit to me like Christmas in February, doesn't it? <laughs> which, I don't know, maybe that's a good thing, separating this powerful true story from all the other hubbub that, that goes along with normal Christmas in December. There's so many lessons and applications for us today. And so as we move toward a close, consider these five possibilities. Number one, consider how God accomplishes his purposes through ordinary events. The emperor and the governor, they're doing their things for sure, but God is orchestrating it all, right? Ensuring that his word is fulfilled and the Messiah is born in Bethlehem, just as Micah 5 2 prophesied. God accomplishes his purposes through ordinary events. Secondly, consider how God accomplishes his purposes in surprising ways. As J.I. Packer said, the Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, right? Laid in a feeding trough, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and gurgle and make noises and needing to be fed and changed and, and taught to talk just like any other child. God accomplishes his purposes in surprising ways. Thirdly, consider how God uses unlikely people. Like the first announcement of the Messiah's birth does not go to the cultural elites and the power brokers of the day. It doesn't go to Caesar Augustus or Quirinius, the governor, but to low-status shepherds. God brings to them good news of great joy. They got to see the newborn Savior. Consider how God uses unlikely people. Fourthly, I've been asking myself, when the Lord makes something known to me, do I act on it right away like the shepherds do? And do I make it known to others, right? What has been told to me? That's a challenge for us to consider. And fifth and finally, when I encounter Jesus, not in person, of course, like the shepherds, but in his written word, when I encounter Jesus, do I respond by glorifying and praising God for all that I've heard and seen? Again, it's a challenge for us to consider this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for bringing us good news of great joy with the shepherds, we are eternally grateful that unto us was born in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. With the heavenly host, we praise you, saying glory to God in the highest. We marvel at how you accomplish your purposes, Lord, through ordinary events and in surprising ways and using unlikely people. Oh, Lord. When you make something known to us, we want to act on it right away and, and pass it on to others. And when we encounter your son, Jesus, we want to respond by glorifying and praising you so that in all these things, Lord, you get the glory through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, we pray. Amen.